Ah, it is good to be together. I I found myself thinking, uh, some of us were together just a week ago, as we kind of follow in the story of Jesus, he enters the city, and he begins a scene of interactions and, and kind of experiences ranging pretty much the whole sweep of life that we go through. Uh, people pushing back on him, dealing with powers and situations that are heavy, bearing upon himself really the weight of all humanity on Good Friday. And now we find ourselves here on Easter Sunday where we are here to celebrate something quite beautiful. And I was thinking about this and uh, the words of someone who's been really helpful for me on my kind of journey of considering faith and processing and leaning into that in real time named N.T. Wright had these words to say, and I think it gets at what we're here for. He talked about how Easter is when hope in person surprised the whole world by coming forward from the future into the present. And what he's referring to is in this kind of big sweep of God's story that we find in Scripture and we find through people throughout history, there's this picture that there is coming a day when all shall be made right. And that day is actually what we get a foretaste of on Easter Sunday. It's like Jesus has brought that goodness, the healing that all the world will experience He has brought it to us to bring to bear on our lives through his resurrection over death and everything that feels like death. And so I want us to lean into that space today because Easter is the day when everything that we hope was true, everything we wish was real, was settled, was worked out, it's actually arrived in Jesus's resurrection. And so I want to ask you this question. If you were to make a list, any of you like making lists? Do you like that? Uh, My friends tell me I need to make lists. So anyway, um, but if you were to make a list of things that you wish were true, things that really could happen, uh, what would be on it? And you might even want to do that now. But consider that question for a moment. What would you put on that list? And so I was thinking about it and kind of in an unfiltered way began to process and think. And maybe some of you are like me and you'd have this on your list. The Mariners are in the World Series. Uh, Like, none of you. Okay, uh, I guess I'm alone. It's been that tough, that many years, huh? No. I believe, I believe. It's early. Every year is that year. Let's do it. Uh, I was thinking, like, things that would be on my list. So I'm a, a big musical fan, and I always have this dream that artists that I love would collaborate together. Any of you with me on that kind of stuff? And I had this thought when I was processing this. Oh, I so wish it were true that the Avett brothers and Kendrick Lamar would, like, come together and put together something for us. I'm pretty sure my life would be complete at that point. Uh, but even if that doesn't happen, just a little side note, I did hear that the Pixies and Modest Mouse will be in Seattle this fall, so let's go. Okay, anyway, I was thinking about other things I would put on my list. Um, oh, I so wish it were true. I really wish that late night snacks could be liberated from all the hate they get, and that somehow now they would be completely seen in the light for which they are made to help me with my fitness goals, not work against them. I so wish that were true. Anybody with me? Yeah. I bet there's a lot of other things we would say are on our list as well. And I think even things beyond those. I bet there's things we would say are on our list that we so wish were true in the lives of the people we love, in our community, in our world. Things that feel fractured and broken, things that feel dissonant, that we so wish actually could be put back together, could be made whole, could experience life. Easter invites us into this place of wondering, and imagining. It invites us into creating a list, if you will. And I want us to hold that throughout our time together today. We're going to look at one of the gospels known as John's gospel. So think of a gospel like a biography of Jesus that we have. 
in the New Testament of the Bible, we're going to look at some scenes from that first Easter. And I think it helps us kind of consider the question and what actually has come true in the resurrection and how hope can emerge for the things on our list. So a series of snapshots, some interactions, some moments with Jesus that I think will bring all kinds of good for us. So let's begin. It starts like this, John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So we meet Mary in another one of those biographies of Jesus in the New Testament known as Luke's Gospel. When we meet her, um, she has had a rough life, lots of trauma, lots of pain, lots of stuff just turned upside down in her life. And she meets Christ, and she finds herself in this presence of one who welcomes her. She finds healing. She finds restoration. She begins to find a life that she only wondered if could be true. She begins to not only have that experience, but she is actually counted among the disciples or those folks who followed Jesus on this mission to help heal the world. And not only was she part of that group of disciples, it even says that she was part of the group that even funded the mission. She used her creativity, her skills, her resources to move this good news forward. This is her life. Now imagine what it must have been like for her on that first Good Friday when she sees the one who saw her, the one who healed her, the one who invited her to belong, the one who invited her into all of life was dead. Imagine that, the crushing weight of it. Imagine the pain of that. So the story goes on, and it tells us that in this moment where she's at the tomb, and she's like, what is going on? She races to find a couple of her friends, in particular a friend named Peter and another named John. Now, here's a fun fact. This John that I just mentioned is the John who is the author of John's gospel. And it's kind of funny because throughout the gospel, if you ever read it, he refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. And I guess that's appropriate, but I don't know if I would have wrote it that way. Um, he also, though, in this scene where Mary comes to find them, it says that like, they look at each other, Peter and John, and they take off in a sprint race for the tomb. They want to see this thing themselves, and this cracks me up. The way John like, articulates this in his gospel, he says, and the other disciple outran Peter. He's talking about himself, like fading humility. No, I don't know. But they get there, and they look in, the scripture says. They want to see it for themselves. And then they have this spark of memory. They begin to remember the times they were with Jesus and all that he had taught them and how he had helped them make sense of the scriptures. And by the way, if you've ever read the scriptures and like, I don't know how to make sense of them, they only make sense through the lens of Jesus. And so they had that same experience and things started to fall into place. Oh my goodness, this is kind of what he was leading us towards. Could this be true? And then I love how almost in this anticlimactic way, their little scene after Mary kind of brings them into this space kind of ends. It literally says in the text, and they go home, roll the credits like we're good. But Mary is still there. John chapter 20, verse 11, it says she was standing outside the tomb. She's alone now. She's crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in and she saw two white robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Well, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, will you tell me where they've put him? I will go get him, 
Mary, Jesus says. And she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is this Hebrew word for teacher. Quite a stirring scene. She comes into that morning. I wonder if that list was playing in her mind. All that I thought was is now undone. Where am I going to go from here? And now she runs into someone she doesn't even recognize at first, the gardener who has come to put all things back together, to make all things bloom and become what they're made to be, meets her, calls her by name. And in that moment, what she wished was true in a lasting way became hope realized for her. I love that scene. And I think that's what we're invited into. Because I bet we, like her, have a list. Oh, I wished it could be true that the trauma I've endured, that the stuff in my life that feels fractured could be put back together. I so wish I could experience belonging and purpose. She, remember, had experienced that, but it seemed to be cut short. By the way, I was kind of thinking about that idea. We all long to belong. We all long for purpose. Matter of fact, researchers would say those two go hand in hand. It's when we're part of something that's beyond just ourselves that we tend to feel and sense deeper belonging. And it's like that list, that stuff she longed for that had been broken on Good Friday is now put together as Jesus calls her name. And I was thinking of that, and it reminded me of a poem by a person I really respect his work. I enjoy it, named Malcolm Geit. And he talks about this very scene. Mary's coming to the tomb in his sonnet called Early Dawn or Easter Dawn. says, he blesses every love which weeps and grieves, and now he blesses hers who stood and wept and would not be consoled or leave her love's last touching place. But watch as low light crept up from the east. A sound behind her stirs, a scatter of bright birdsong through the air. She turns but cannot focus through her tears or recognize the gardener standing there. She hardly hears his gentle question, why, why are you weeping? Or sees the play of light that brightens as she chokes out her reply. They took my love away, my day is night. And then she hears her name. She hears love say the word that turns her night and ours today. I wonder what's on your list of what you wish could come true. The things that could be put back together. And maybe you're like Mary and you have similar items that would have been on hers. This morning, the risen Jesus also calls you by name. And invites you in to the life you've always longed for both for today and forever. The story continues. Think now from Easter morning to Easter night. We'll have our own here in a few hours. I'll probably be snoring in my chair, and my kids will remind me of it because I've eaten too much for lunch. But nonetheless, let's read this text. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, and suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. It's Easter night, just a few hours earlier. Mary's experience, Peter and John's experience had caused a stir among all these followers. But just a bit later, they are locked in a room afraid. And something that I love about this text and Jesus' posture with all of us is that I think he gets that resurrection sinking in takes time. It takes time for us to kind of let this work itself out. 
It takes time for belief to actually be formed in us. And Jesus seems to be quite okay with it. I was thinking about their story a little bit more and wondering what was on their list. And I think them being locked up, afraid of the religious leaders, and rightfully so, they had seen what the religious leaders had done to Jesus. What might they do to them? I think on their list, in, the, in, a, in addition to what Mary had on hers, I think they would have added fear and anxiety. I know that's been on my list. I think they also, though, had a deep longing, and they had hoped that Jesus was the one that finally would come and make the world right. I think they were sick and tired of being under the thumb of oppressive rule. I think they were sick and tired of injustice in the world. They had experienced it at the hands of the Romans. They had experienced it at the hands of their religious leaders. And maybe you're like them, and you're like, I long for the world to be made right. I long for the day when injustice and dehumanization will cease. And you can imagine they had put their hope in Jesus and now feel like it's crushed. But then even though they had heard the resurrection story, they're trying to figure out how all this works, just like us. And then I love what happens. Jesus walks through a locked up place and welcomes them. I love the, the reality that Jesus cannot be held out, cannot be kept away from those locked up places within us where fear and anxiety and other things dwell. But notice how he comes in. Uh, I grew up in the South, and my dad used to say some things to me when I was a kid, these little, like, kind of phrases or, like, I don't know, almost like redneck poems or something. But, uh, <laughs> but he used to have one for me, like, boy, you're coming through here like a bull in a china shop. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard that, but... But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't come in like throwing his weight around. Do you notice? Did you hear how he comes in? He comes in and says, peace, peace. No name calling. No, you should have gotten it right by now. None of that. Peace. I love that. Peace, he's using this Hebrew word and concept of shalom, which goes all the way back to the story that is our beginning when God creates the first human, God like speaks peace into the world and in all of creation. And just like God did in the beginning where he breathes upon the first human, Jesus breathes on them again. It like brings this imagination like what God did in the beginning when the world was flourishing and as it should be. And Jesus' resurrection and his giving them the spirit, giving us the spirit, we're invited right back into that place of being remade, of all things becoming new through peace, through shalom. And through Jesus giving us time for resurrection to sink in. And the story continues, though. Because, see, one of the 12 disciples, his name is Thomas, nicknamed the twin, he actually wasn't there on that night. And they told him, we've seen the Lord, but he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. And eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time, Thomas was with him. Notice this next line. It sounds pretty familiar. The doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you. Seems like a pattern, doesn't it? Seems like Jesus has this really beautiful pattern of showing up over and over and over and over again and proclaiming peace and remaking us and letting resurrection set in. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. 
Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. So the text opened that we just read with Thomas having a nickname. Do you remember what it was? The twin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is actually his nickname. So why is it that he is so known through history and in culture as someone uh, that we refer to by another nickname, which is Doubting Thomas? Jesus doesn't call him that. It's interesting. I was thinking about this notion of doubt and faith. Resurrection takes time to sink in. And I would say if you look through history and consider the lives of people who have followed Jesus on this resurrection journey, there is a common refrain. Many will say, and they say it in all kinds of ways, a faith that doesn't have doubt of any kind isn't really faith. It's some other form of certitude that is small. Real faith has all kinds of questions because resurrection, really, come on. And I was thinking about this in my own life. I wouldn't be here with you if Jesus hadn't given me, like these friends, room to ask those big questions, to wrestle, to let resurrection sink in. I was also thinking about the words of Philip Yancey, an author, a person I respected his work, and he says it so succinctly here. Find a single argument against God in any of the older agnostics. So he's like mentioning Russell, Voltaire, Hume, or newer ones like Dawkins, Hitchens, Harris that is not already included in books like Psalms, Job, Habakkuk, and Lamentations, and then this line, God seems rather doubt-tolerant, actually. And so, as we engage with Thomas in this moment, we've looked at Mary's list, and we considered maybe a couple things on the disciples. I wonder what would make her list of what do you wish were true, could really be. Again, so far we've looked at trauma healed, may it be, Could wholeness be ours? What about belonging, purpose? Could injustice and dehumanization be dealt with? Could fear and anxiety be dealt with? I think Thomas added one more to the list that maybe we have experienced too. I think Thomas, his struggle was so wishing that it was true that death didn't have the last word. Pretty convinced of that. And then look how Jesus responds to him. He comes close says, look, touch, and follow me on the journey of resurrection that will root you in the hope that you've been made for. It's the hope you've been made for, that I've been made for, that our neighbors and friends have been made for, that everybody everywhere has been made for. Easter is for everyone. And I was thinking about this beautiful text with Thomas where he moves from this place of I can't to oh my God. And it reminded me of something that Tolkien said. Any Tolkien fans? Tolkien talked about this kind of shift. He coined a phrase for it called eucatastrophe. And he says, it's the sudden happy turn in a story which pierces you with joy. It's a sudden glimpse of truth, like your whole nature, change of material cause and effect, the chain of death, feels a sudden relief as if a major limb out of joint had suddenly snapped back into place. It perceives that this is indeed how things really do work in the great world for which our nature is made. And he goes on and says, and I concluded by saying that the resurrection was the greatest eucatastrophe possible. And Thomas experienced that. And we're invited into that with all the things on our list that we so wish were true on this Easter. 
I love Thomas's response to his moment. Just this big exclamation, my Lord and my God, did you know the one that we give a nickname that's not even his, did you know he was the first among the disciples to make that declaration of Jesus, my Lord? The very first one, the doubter got it right. So if you, like me, have doubts, you're in good company. So all of this, again, comes back to the reality that hope in person has indeed surprised the whole world by coming into our present on this Easter and every day forward. And we're invited into this unfolding hope. We're invited to bring our lists, all those things, again, we wish could be made right, that we wish were true and could happen. We're invited to bring that to Jesus today and forever. The resurrected one is waiting, and he's calling us by name, and he's speaking peace upon us, and he will continue to do so. Like he did with Mary, like he did with the locked up disciples, like he did with Thomas, Jesus meets us, speaks no condescending words, again, calls us by name, and invites us into it. So I have a question. How do you want to respond to this all today? How do you want to respond to Jesus? Mary responds to him. The disciples respond to him. Thomas responds to him. And we get to respond to him, to the one who's come close. That connect card that Josh and Hannah mentioned earlier, I'd love you to consider that for a moment. And maybe you're sitting here and something is stirring in you. Hope could actually be mine. Like these things I long for could actually be met in the resurrected one. Well, I want to say yes to that. And maybe this is your day. An emphatic yes is stirring within you. Mark it on the connect card. And here's why I say that. We're in this together. We're not just doing religious stuff. We're not just putting on experiences. We are walking together in the way of resurrection. And you don't have to walk it alone. So on the connect card, when you mark that, we want to walk with you in that. We want to walk the journey of letting resurrection set in together. Maybe you're here today and you're like, you know, they talked about baptism. It's like the public display that, Jesus, I'm in with you. I'm in with you in this resurrection way. Next week, we're going to throw a party, a big public party that talks about how hope is now rewriting our story as we follow Jesus into everything and every day. And maybe that's your next step, to follow Jesus in that tangible way. It's kind of, honestly, uh, an act that rings what Thomas, with what Thomas said. Oh, my Lord and my God, I'm in. And maybe that's your next step. Maybe you're here today, and some of the things we've talked about, though, I hope, have invited you in this response. Maybe take a big old breath. And all that feels anxious and heavy and weighty and death-like, you could just exhale and make room for the resurrection to work itself out today and tomorrow and next week. Next week, we're going to begin a series walking through some practical ways that resurrection can set in, that we can live into it together. And maybe this is your day to just relax a little bit because the work has been done for you. And the risen Lord calls you by name and says, hey, let's go look and see what that looks like together. Maybe you're here today, and I hope you felt welcomed, and maybe this is your response. Hey, I'd like to sort out my doubts, my questions with Jesus, the one who welcomes me to come close and take a look. If any of those are yours, on that Connect card, there's that place to kind of write a prayer. I'd love you to consider and, and even jot down kind of what's going on in you and how we could pray together and how we could walk together. If you want someone to process with, to take a walk, to grab a cup of coffee with, whatever. Write that on there. Let's lean into this together. 
Let's lean into this together. And as I ask you these questions, I want you to hear this. These stories we've read from John's gospel from that first Easter, when things were going on with Mary, with the disciples, with Thomas, Jesus actually also was thinking of you. And I'm not just saying that off the cuff. The text says it. Because at the end of Thomas's encounter, Jesus says, you believe, Thomas, because you've seen me. But blessed are those who believe without seeing me. That'd be you. That'd be me. That'd be us. And we're invited today into this same life where we bring our lists, all that we hope could be true, that we wish were true, that we're put back together and made whole. We get to bring that to the resurrected one who is turning everything over and making all things new, even us. And so I'd like to pray with you. Would you stand with me? I'd like to pray and then invite you to the table of communion this morning. There's something beautiful about this experience that we and other resurrectionists, if you will, followers of Jesus walk into. We remember what Jesus did actually right before his death, where he had a meal with his friends on his darkest night, where he had a meal with his friends who he knew would have their lists of all the ache and the broken stuff. And he put something in place and said, do this over and over again. And at that meal, what he did is he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to them and he said, this is my body broken for you. It's broken to heal you of all the brokenness you experience. He took the glass of wine that they were sharing and he said, and this is my cup, my blood given for you. It's given to put you back together with God, yourself and each other. So eat this meal over and over again as you lean into and remember and practice resurrection. Because the text says later in the New Testament, every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are announcing the Lord's death until he returns, until things are finally made right. So when we come to the table, we are leaning into hope. We are leaning into the hope that is meeting us on this Easter Sunday and the hope that will be ours forever. And so I wanna invite you in just a moment to come to the table. It's a table that Jesus sets. I didn't set it. New life didn't set it. It's Jesus's table and he says, you're welcome. He calls you by name and says, eat all you want, drink your fill and be sustained. So Father, here we are today. You have deep love for us. You've compelled us to be here, whether we knew it or not. And just like Mary and just like those disciples and just like Thomas, we bring our lists of all the stuff that feels fractured and out of whack that we can't quite get a handle on and we wonder if it could ever change. And in your resurrection, you make an emphatic yes, hope, healing, a future, all kinds of possibilities are now ours. So I pray today we would respond to your great love and we don't have to work too hard at it. You've done the heavy lifting We get to respond and celebrate and follow you now, Jesus, into all of life. And we don't have to do it alone. We get to do it together. And we don't have to do it on our own strength. We come to the table again and again and again where you feed us and you fill us and you remind us of what's true. So I pray as we step to the table, Lord, today, there would be this new beginning of hope, this new place of possibility, that resurrection reality would be ours 
and it would grant us a new imagination that would fuel our bodies and our minds and our habits and our interactions and our everyday. So we come to the table that you've set now, Jesus, and we thank you for the resurrection of it. Thank you. Amen. Come to the table as you're ready.